I want us to look at what shall I do with the gospel? What shall I do with the gospel? Uh, you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God this evening, starting in verse number 3. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received... How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before You this evening grateful once again for the opportunity we have to study from Your book. Lord, we thank You for the wonderful day that You've given us, the opportunity that we've had to sing Your praises. Lord, we thank You for those that were able to be here this evening and pray for those that couldn't for one reason or another. We pray that You would help them where they're at. Lord, I pray that You would open hearts and minds to receive Your Word this evening, what is being preached, what is being taught. Lord, I pray that You would help me not to preach my own opinion, Lord, but help us to be faithful just to preach your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to leave challenged from this series that we have been asking ourselves the questions this year in 2018. What will we do with your son? What will we do with your church? What will we do with your word and with the liberty that you've given us? And now as we come to a close with the gospel that you gave us, Lord, I hope that it'll be a challenge for us. I pray that you would help us to leave encouraged and ready to be a witness for you. It's in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the reading of the Word of God. It has been stated that the gospel is the greatest story that has ever been told. And I would have to agree. Amen? Amen. The gospel ministries are built because of the gospel. Lives are changed because of the gospel. Marriages are restored because of the gospel. Families brought back together. People who never had any type of importance or value in life now made sons and daughters of God because of the gospel. The gospel is extremely important. So uh, we're not, we're not going to take a lot of time with introduction because I do have four points this evening I want us to get through. So this evening I want us to briefly focus on some key scriptural things about the gospel and what it should be. First of all, the gospel needs to be defined. It needs to be defined. Uh, I don't know how many of you, just for fun, like to Google things. Anybody like to do that just for fun? Amen. Just kind of go on there and just type in questions and see what kind of crazy answers come up. So I decided to Google uh, uh, what is the gospel. And this is the answer that comes up. Number one, it gave me two answers. They, it says that the gospel is the teaching or revelation of Christ. Well, that's... Not a bad guess from a worldly standpoint, I guess. Uh, uh, the teaching or revelation of Christ. It uh, then goes on to say it is the church's mission to preach the gospel, which we would wholeheartedly agree with. And then some synonyms it would give. And then it would throw in there, because of the word gospel being there, the gospel according to John. And it would include the four gospels. Then the second thing it says is the record of Jesus' life and teaching in the first four books 
of the New Testament. Again, not bad from a worldly standpoint, uh, but the gospel is a little more than that. Amen? Uh, If you were to ask even the average Christian today, please define the gospel, most would simply share the phrase, well, it's the good news. Well, and that's not a wrong answer in and of itself. I understand where that comes from. But in the verses that we just read, Paul gives us a very specific definition of what the gospel is. If I were to go to the doctor and find out that I had a terminal illness and then they were to proceed with medications and operations to go back and to find out that the illness was no longer there, maybe it was in remission or just gone completely, that would be good news. Amen? But it's not the gospel. You see, there's a difference between the gospel and good news. And I'm not mad at anybody that defines the gospel as good news. But that's a very basic answer to a question that, in my opinion, deserves a little more depth. If the gospel is so wonderful and life-changing, then we should know exactly what it is and how to define it. Paul defines the gospel for us back at our text in verses 3 and 4. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I received. Now, what is that which he received? Well, for context, go back to verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you what? The The gospel. For I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Verse 2. I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. According to verse 1, what was it that they and Paul had received? The gospel. So then he's going into detail about that which was received. Verse 3. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The gospel therefore can be broken down into three parts. Letter A, if you're taking notes, the death. The gospel is broken down by definition into three parts. Letter A is the death. I'm going to read you some a verse here. And as we go through A, B, and C, I will read you the verse. And I'll give you the reference so you can write it down and go back to it. Uh, but just write it down and then go back to it in your own study. Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. He was oppressed... And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. Now, any student of the Word of God knows that Isaiah 53, very specifically, is a prophetic scripture of the suffering Savior. Amen? It is a very prophetic scripture of Jesus Christ. That's why it is a holy chapter, one in which that if you are a part of a Jewish faith, you are not allowed to read that book of that part of the Bible except one time a year, and only the rabbis are allowed to read it, 
to you. It's very interesting. I, I watched a video of a man who was in Israel and he was going around and asking people if they had ever read the holy chapter. And they said, oh no, we've, you know, we're, not, we're not supposed to. And he said, aren't you intrigued a little bit or concerned or interested as to what it says? And so then he would, and the whole thing's in Hebrew. They're talking to Jews there. And he, it's, the translation is popping up in English for you to read as you watch. And uh, kind of like a, a foreign film where you really got to read to pay attention. And uh, he would go through. And you can see the eyes of these Jewish people as he reads Isaiah 53. And they listen. And all of a sudden he makes the connection to Christ Jesus. It's almost as if a veil was lifted. Amen. And it clicked. Why? Because they've been told that Jesus was a good prophet. He was a good teacher, but yet he wasn't the Messiah. Now, just pause for just a second. There is a problem with that mentality because Christ said, I and my father are one. Christ also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So either Christ is who he says he is, or he is a liar, but he cannot be a good teacher. Because if he was a prophet and a good teacher, then that means what he said was true, which means he is the only begotten of the Father. Amen. You see how self-contradicting statements defeat themselves? Amen. But we must be able, that was a side note, that was for free this evening, amen, I won't bill you for that. But uh, anyway, we see the death as prophesied in Isaiah that is fulfilled in the four Gospels is the first part of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, the Gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news of Jesus Christ, but the definition that we see here before us shows us that it is more than just good news, it is life-changing news. And it starts with the death of the Savior. Letter B, not only is the gospel broken down into the death, but it must also be that he was buried. So we have the death and now we have the burial. Isaiah 53 and verse 9, if you're taking notes, Isaiah 53 and verse 9 reads, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was there in, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Here we have the prophecy of the burial of Christ. Now there's many scriptures we could go to for sake of time. I'm giving you one per. And then what I want you to do is to go and see if these things are so. Amen? I want you to go and look them up. Because never take anybody's word at face value. The only word that you take at face value is God's word. Amen? So go and see if those things are so. A little bit of church homework for next week. Amen? Now, I'm not going to quiz you, but maybe one day the Lord will. So, we have the definition of the gospel being the death, and the second part being the burial. The burial, because the Bible prophesied that the Savior would die and that He would be buried. His grave would have been amongst the wicked and with the rich in His death. This tomb that He was buried in. But then the third thing we see in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. 
He was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So the third thing that's necessary or that it must have occurred in order for it to be the gospel of Christ Jesus is not only the death and not only the burial, but there must be the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Psalm 16.10. If you're taking notes this evening. Psalm 16.10. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. This is why Christ only laid in the grave for three days and three nights. Because on the fourth day, corruption would have set in Lazarus as he was buried. And as he, as Jesus made his way there to that town. And he said... Uh, rolled the stone back. What was it that they said? It had been four days since he had been buried. Surely, Lord, he stinketh. Amen? Because on that fourth day, corruption sets in. That's just a scientific fact. That's why when someone passes, they try to uh, uh, embalm them so that they are preserved a little bit, but then they need a decision. They need to get in the ground. Amen? Uh, and that's important. But you see, the Holy One, Jesus Christ, saw no corruption. He rose again on the third day according to the scripture. None of these parts can be the gospel alone. None of these parts can be the gospel alone. If we were merely presented with a Christ uh, or someone who professed to be Christ Jesus, who lived a perfect life for 33 and a half perfect years and yet died the way that was foretold and was buried the way that was foretold and yet did not raise from the grave, then we have not the gospel. If we have someone who claims to be the Savior and died in the way that was prophesied, but was not buried in the way that was prophesied, we have no Savior. You see, the gospel relies on these three parts, the death, burial, and resurrection. The death, burial, and resurrection. It is the resurrection that confirms who Christ is. It is the resurrection that shows the power of God that Christ had within Himself. I read about the battle of Inkerman in 1854. A soldier was just able to crawl to his tent after he was struck down. When he found, uh, uh, he when found, he was lying upon his face, his Bible before him, his hand glued fast to John 11 by his life blood which covered it. When his hand was lifted, the letters of the printed page were clearly traced upon it. And with the ever-living promise in and on his hand, they laid him in a soldier's grave. The words from John 11 that were in and on his hand were, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. The promise of the gospel is that we will not remain asleep, but that because Christ is risen, so shall we rise. We have the promise of the resurrection from the gospel. But you see, when we just simply say, well, what is the gospel? Well, it's the good news. We've watered it down. 
We've watered it down. Well, it is good news. It's wonderful news. It's not just good news. It's the greatest news there is. God sent His only begotten Son. He died, gave His life, was buried, and rose again on the third day according to the Scripture. And Paul said, that's the gospel that I preached unto you and that you received. So when next time someone says, well, what do you believe the gospel is? You take them to 1 Corinthians 15, take them to verse 3 and 4, and you show them the three parts that are necessary for the gospel. But in order for us to use the gospel properly, we must be able to define it. We must be able to define it. Second, not only should the gospel be properly defined, but secondly, the gospel should be proclaimed. The gospel should be proclaimed. Look at verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. The gospel which I preached unto you. Now we have studied out this word, this word preach, which simply means to proclaim something. Amen? That's why when you go to your friends and you start talking about the Bible and you start talking about Christ, what do they say? Don't preach to me. Don't preach to me. What are you doing? You are proclaiming what Christ has done in your life. That's why it's funny. Can women preach? Amen? Can they pastor? No. Can they teach? Sure. Can they preach? Well, we're all to proclaim the gospel. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we're going to have Joel Osteen's uh, wife up here one day preaching. That's not what we're talking about. Amen? That's when the, the thing needs to cut out and I need to, you know, go re-edit that. Amen? But, uh, uh, but what are we getting at here? All of us have a responsibility to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is our birthright to share that with the world. Our responsibility. Paul declared the gospel every place that he went. And because of his declaring of the gospel, souls were transformed and lives were changed. Leading to churches being birthed all over the world. How often does it need to be proclaimed? How does the Bible need to be proclaimed? How does the gospel need to be proclaimed quickly? Letter A, it needs to be proclaimed daily. It needs to be proclaimed daily. Friend, if a day goes by this week where you have not shared the gospel with someone, that day is not a successful day for you. Amen. It gets quiet when you say things like that, amen, because all of us, even the preacher, is uh, in a place to where we do not always proclaim the gospel as we should. Every opportunity we get, we should be proclaiming the gospel. I never can, I'll never get over or forget the words of that atheist, Penn Jillette, as he said, if I truly believe that there was a heaven and a hell, then this world could not stop me from going out and telling people about the danger that is to come. He says that's the reason he doesn't believe it, because God's followers, self-proclaimed followers, there obviously is no urgency in their lives to spread the word. And so it is our own testimony that leads to his... Now, again, that's an excuse that he will have to answer to God for one day. But it's an excuse that we have given. It's an excuse that we have given. 
he uses the illustration when he's talking about this because Christians come up to him, people give him Bibles, try to show him the love of God, and he's just completely against God that even exists because of whatever reason, scientific, and then those other excuses that he would give. But he said, it's almost as if hell is the truck that's coming, and there you have your best friend playing in the middle of the highway, and you're yelling, listen, hell is coming, hell is coming, you need to get out of the highway. And he says, but then because the friend says, I don't believe you, I don't believe you, this is what our response is. Well, I tried everything that I could. Then Pendulet says, this atheist, he says, if it were me and I saw the damnation coming, I would jump in the middle of the highway and grab that man to try to save his soul. This is why I don't believe Christians when they tell me about the gospel, when they tell me about heaven and hell, because it's obviously not that urgent to them. Why? Because we fail in proclaiming the word of God. We've become comfortable in our lives. We've become comfortable in our situations. We think if we put a bumper sticker on our car, we have shared the gospel. Friend, that is not uh, uh, an appropriate substitute for sharing the gospel. The gospel must be proclaimed daily. But second, letter B, it must be proclaimed boldly. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It has the power to transform anybody's life if they will accept it. We have no reason to cower as defeated soldiers while the world dies and goes to hell. We have no reason to cower as defeated soldiers while the world dies and goes to hell. John Currier was found guilty of murder in 1949 and sentenced to life in prison. Later, he was paroled to work on a farm near Nashville, Tennessee. In 1968, Currier's sentence was terminated and a letter bearing the good news was sent to him. But John never saw the letter. Nor was he told anything about it. Ten more years went by. Then a state parole officer learned that Courier's plight and found him and told him that his sentence had been terminated. John Courier was a free man. Christians have been entrusted with the most important message this world will ever have the opportunity to hear. Yet many of us never deliver that message. Many of us never will share that message with those who are sentenced to death in themselves. Second Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, But we have the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. The sentence of death is within the very soul of the lost man. We have the letter that would lead to his eternal security. We have the letter that would lead to his freedom and liberation. And yet because we are uncomfortable or fearful, because we do not find confidence within ourselves, which we should not be looking to ourselves in the first place, we refuse to share the gospel and therefore hundreds and thousands and even millions of people will die and go to hell. This gospel needs to be proclaimed daily, but it should be proclaimed 
boldly. That confidence that comes can only come from God. We do not find confidence in ourselves to share the gospel. We find confidence in Christ. Christ who changed our lives. Christ who made us new has the power to do the same. Friend, we should never cower as defeated soldiers as the world dies. Not only should the gospel be defined properly, not only should the gospel be proclaimed, two more things and will be done. The gospel should be believed. The gospel should be believed. The receiving of the gospel is listed in verse 2 as believing, by which also, 1 Corinthians 15, ye are saved if ye keep in memory that I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Notice in verse 1, which also ye have received. So we have this receiving of the gospel also being called believing, but the Bible forewarns of those that have believed in vain. Maybe their faith and trust is not in the finished work of Christ and the cross of Calvary and the empty tomb. Maybe it is that they're just trying to give Jesus a shot to see if He would make their life better. Friend, that is not believing the gospel message. The receiving of the gospel. The apostle teaches that this is extremely important as we continue through this Christian life. While we are saved once forever, it is still our responsibility to believe the gospel. We just read Romans 1.16 where we are taught that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is amazing how little faith God's people have in the fact that the gospel has the power to overcome the concerns and lifestyle of any that are living wickedly around us. It's the gospel that has the power. Well, I don't know that I can. Well, friend, can I help you with something? You can't. Amen? But God can. I just don't know if I have the, the ability. You don't understand, Pastor. Well, let me go ahead and share this with you. You don't. But God does. The gospel has to be believed. After salvation, we can never lose our salvation. But we must still believe that the gospel has the power to change lives. And if we would believe it, then we would share it. If we would believe that simple message, then nothing could stop us from going out those doors and trying to tell as many people as possible about what Christ has done for us. Number four, and will be done. The gospel not only should be defined, not only should the gospel be proclaimed, not only should the gospel be believed, but the gospel should be foundational. The gospel should be foundational. This is the reason we are here. The gospel of Jesus Christ. In our mission statement, I shared with our deacons last night at our deacons dinner. I have a vision statement for our church. We have a a church verse, so to speak, in our leadership material. We set forth a strategic plan to put into place with a three-year timeline for some of the goals that we have set forth as our church. In our vision statement, it reads that uh, we are to bring glory to God first and foremost by sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel. It's foundational. Look at verse 1, 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. 
It's the gospel of Christ that is the power of God unto salvation. It is the gospel of Christ that is the rock upon which our ministry is built and can grow. Without the gospel, we are nothing. Without the gospel, we are of all men most miserable. Without this, we cannot expect Christ to grow this ministry. We would love for our church to grow, but if we won't be willing to go out and share the gospel, why should God grow this church? If we wouldn't be willing to go out without the gospel, we cannot expect God to change lives. We want God to save souls. We want God to transform the old alcoholic and drug users. But if we're not willing to leave this building and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we should expect zero results. The gospel is the very foundation that we are to stand upon. Because the gospel of Christ is the foundation upon which we should stand, we can do so confidently, knowing first and foremost, letter A, it's solid. It is a solid foundation. Psalm 62 verse 2, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. He, he who, he God. God is the solid rock. It is Jesus Christ who is the chief cornerstone that the builders rejected. He is the rock upon which the cross, the church was built. And it started with the gospel, the death, burial. And resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a sure foundation. It is a solid foundation. Let her be. We're almost done. Not only is it a solid foundation. But it is a strong foundation. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. For when we were yet without strength. In due time Christ died for the ungodly. Therefore, Christ dying for the ungodly, we had no strength to take care of our own eternal state. So Christ did it for us. Why? So that we could partake in His strength. He is the solid rock. He is that strong rock. My question this year for us as a church family, what are we going to do with the gospel? Will we be faithful to share it? Will we recognize it as foundational upon which we will glorify God as He allows us to see fruit? Or will we set it aside and hope that someone else will pick up the slack? Well, I understand that visitation is important, but somebody else will go. You don't understand. I'm busy. I have a lot of things to do. Can I just share something with you? I am so grateful that that day in 1994 that those two men who put on a Christian baseball camp and took that last hour every day to share the gospel were not too busy to share the gospel with some mean, honorary, snotty-nosed little children. I'm so glad and grateful that someone took the time to share the gospel with me. 
And if you were honest, you'd say the same thing. I know if we were to go around the room and allow everyone here, if time would permit, to give testimony, every person in here would be so grateful that the person that shared the gospel with them did not use the same excuses that we use today. I'm so glad that I do not have to hear that man who led me to Christ. I'm so glad that he was not sitting at home because I've tried for years and I've never seen God do anything with those children that just get on my nerves. I'm so glad he didn't say that. I'm so glad that Christ moved in his heart and gave him a passion to share the gospel that he boldly proclaimed it out there in the middle of July or April rather in the springtime in the hot sun of the North Carolina. So glad that he took time that he could have been making money, earning a living, providing for his family to share the gospel. Friend, what will we do with the gospel this year? Will we continue to make excuses? Or will we go out into the highway and hedges and bid whosoever will to come accept that free gift that Christ gave His life for, that He suffered for? Some of the greatest missionaries in history devotedly uh, spreading the gospel, the Word of God. Something that we must make sure that we don't allow is that we become discouraged if we see a lack of fruit. We should not become discouraged if we see a lack of fruit. So many of these great missionaries, William Carey, for example, he labored seven years before the first Hindu convert was brought to Christ in Burma. Adoniram Judson toiled seven years before his faithful preaching was rewarded by seeing his first convert. You know, we're so driven by numbers and results and we're so westernized and Americanized that if we send out missionaries and they were to to vote five and ten years and they never reported back anybody has gotten saved, you know what we start doing? I wonder what they're doing over there. Could you imagine if we had been a church that was supporting Adoniram Judson? Seven years he labored with not even the one, but one convert after seven years. How many churches let go of the rope as he was over there laboring for Christ? How many churches use that as the excuse to, well, we need to find a man who's providing some fruit. Friend, we are not called to make people into Christians. We're just called to be good stewards of the gospel that we're given. More so is required in a steward that a man be found faithful. Not productive. Faithful. You stay with it and God will provide the fruit. God will provide the increase. But if we give up after a time just because we haven't seen the results that we want, then we never know when God's timing is about to give us wonderful fruit for our labor. No We need to make sure that we maintain our passion, maintain and stand upon the foundational gospel that Christ has given us so that we can remain faithful to sow. You never know what God is getting ready to do. I am so excited about the future of our church. I'm so excited about what God has been doing and adding to our church family. I believe, and I have stated this over the past year, I've talked to our deacons, I've talked to some of you men, I believe God is adding some solid foundational members to our church, preparing, because when those people come to know Christ, do you know what they're going to need? 
They're going to need some old men of the faith. Some old women of the faith to come along and say, Hey, here, let me, let me help you along this journey. Let me teach you some of what Christ has shown me throughout the ages. Let me teach you about this wonderful doctrine of eternal security. Let me teach you the importance of baptism and the Lord's table. Let me teach you about the individual soul liberty you have. You don't have to go to a priest and pray. You can pray to God anytime. You know what? We need some of that and God's been adding that to our church. I don't believe He's doing that just because He wants us to have filled the pews here in Hiawassee. I think it's because He's getting ready to do something wonderful. I just want to be faithful and be a part. I want to see what God is going to do. And if I labor here as long and if you labor till your life is over and you don't see any fruit, that doesn't mean that you weren't fruitful. You just may not know it on this side of eternity. You remain faithful. Allow God to give the increase. But you see, we must ask ourselves the question on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, what will I do with the gospel? Friend, don't give up. Continue. Every head bowed, every eyes closed.